Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Die Entscheidung im 100-Meter-Lauf. Die sechs schnellsten Läufer der Welt sind angetreten. Borgmeier, Weikhoff, Owens, Strandberg, Osendorf und Metcalf. Hello, Radio Olympia. This is direct television from the studios of the Alexander Pep. And now I'm going to see and hear someone who knows well. Hello everybody, welcome to Greatest Games on Football Ramble Daily in association with the Blizzard. My name is Marcus Speller, opposite me is Jonathan Wilson of course and today on the pod we have David Owen, sports writer and a contributor to many uh, a publication also inside the games.biz, uh, the website, author of uh, Foy Naven, the story of uh, the uh, Grand National's biggest upset as well. David, thank you very much for joining us. Jonathan, we're in good company. David, today you've gone for a very historical game. It is the game that finished 4-2 to Peru against Austria in the quarterfinal of the 1936 uh, football tournament at the Olympics, of course. There's a lot to unpack here. Why did you go for this game? Well, I suppose the the basic reason is because um, if you say the game finished 4-2 to Peru, people might assume, therefore, that Peru got through to the (laughs) semi-final rather than Austria. But that wasn't actually the case Mm. uh, for reasons which no doubt we'll we'll explain. 
um and also you know all the the background of the notorious nazi olympics mm-hmm. all, all that stands for um i think the combination it's it's a story that um i think is in europe hardly anyone knows about mm. i certainly didn't i just happened to to meet somebody uh who 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 knew about it in peru apparently it's still like one of the major national scandals which is extraordinary <laughs> given the state of peruvian politics for the last 50 odd years um uh but a lot of people in peru would know exactly what you're talking about i'm told mm. if you if 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 you mention this game in europe i i i i'd be amazed if people did by and large yeah um but it looking at it with sort of 80 odd years on the clock that has some disadvantages because you know there's no recording you can't watch the footage of the game or anything you there's no way of knowing exactly what happened but there's uh, some very strange things clearly go on it went on and uh, you know it suggests to me that as everyone in peru believes there was a very likely uh, an injustice here. Mm. Yeah, I have to say, I, I knew nothing about it. Yeah. And yet, there's so many themes that come together that I feel I do know about. So many people involved in it who sort of I've written about in other contexts. I'm sort of amazed that it's never sort of come up on my radar. But Yeah, I don't, you, know, well, you start reading about the, this game and and you, you soon, names like Goebbels and Hitler and people like that. Imagine. But that wasn't particularly his man. I meant well, people like Pekko Bauvin's no, the no, great sure. German referee. But yes, absolutely. <laughs> but, but, yeah. sure, but it goes that far. Yeah, yeah, That's absolutely. What, yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, should we, should we start with Peru or should we start with the Olympics itself? I, probably the Olympics itself, if we think about the background of the 1936 Olympic Games yeah. in Berlin, obviously loads of controversy. You think Jesse Owens winning, winning gold medals and upsetting. Well, this is the one element of the story that everyone does know about, isn't yes. it? It's the Nazi Olympics, the the, the sort of hideous Nazi mm. propaganda, uh, Hitler's attempt to make the regime respectable mm-hmm. through sport. Sport always played quite an important part for, 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 for the Nazis. And as you say, Jesse Owens, he'd... Um, He'd already won three of his gold medals by the time this this match took place. So, um, you know, he was already the talk of the games. Uh, things were probably slightly starting to go wrong for the for Hitler because of of him winning, although you know not entirely. Um, and there was another big blow for them in the in the football tournament here. Yeah, so the day before this the day game, before the only Norway football match the football ever attended. Knocked out Germany in front of Hitler. Yeah, and as Jonathan says, it was the only football match that Adolf Hitler ever attended. He planned to go to the rowing, had been sort of persuaded to, you know, (laughs) let's let's go and watch us beat the Norwegians. You could imagine. But he wasn't a football fan, was he? No, no, no. Mm -hmm. Uh, Little known fact about The sort of great um, subsidiary story from that game is Sepp Herberger, who goes on to be the the West Germany manager who wins the World Cup in 54. Mm Mm-hmm. In many ways, sort of the conscience of of West German football for a long time, a man whose diaries, which he kept meticulously, are absolutely extraordinary because he, he he keeps a diary through the war and does not mention the war once. <laughs> it's it is literally a diary of. <laughs> so yeah, occasionally you get certain players don't turn up to training, but he never actually tells you why they're not turning up to oh training. Oh my goodness! But he was um, at the time he was quite a junior coach, and his job was to to scout the opposition. So he'd been at uh, whatever the other quarterfinal was that day, uh, which would have been... Was it Italy? Uh, it, was Italy. it would have been the Italy game, that's right. It was right, the yeah. Italy game. 
and he he went back to the German team headquarters, and he was eating knuckle of pork and sauerkraut in a very <laughs> Germanic way. Well, I don't blame him. And um, <laughs> one of the other officials comes in the room, and you know, he doesn't know the score. He, he it's not on the radio or whatever. And he looks up, sees this official's face, and realizes they've lost, and pushes away the the knuckle of pork and sauerkraut. They can never eat pork or cabbage ever again. <laughs> <laughs> and it's 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 a great shame. Um, yeah, I mean, so the, the Olympics itself, as you say, there's, I mean, there's a lot of controversy, and it's it's, I mean, it's just downright odd, quite frankly, sometimes seeing those scenes. You know, it's, it's so far removed from what we know, thank goodness, but seeing the likes of you know, the main players like Hitler, just watching sport in, in all that regalia and so on. So, so it's a very strange Olympics, especially very strange. With, 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 with hindsight, you know, the, the Great Britain team who were there refusing to give a Nazi salute, although they, of course they would, what was it, two years later? Yeah, we were in that course at Ferrari, that yeah. when the, I mean, it's the amateur team, of course. Yes. So when, when the England professional team then goes to, to play a game yeah. in, in Germany... Uh, yeah, they they are essentially bullied by by British diplomats into giving the mm. Nazi salute. Yeah, so but those players, uh, you know, they met Hitler. Uh-huh. Uh, clearly, subsequently, felt very uncomfortable about mm-hmm. that. But well, I mean, one of the players said he's been washing his hands ever since. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, what, what can you do? Yeah, if you're if you're a player, if you're a player there mm-hmm. and you're sort of you're meeting a foreign head of state. Yeah, yeah. I, I think I, to expect them to do an audit of of the political. Uh, background of everybody they meet is is pretty hard. But David, even even you know, we 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 can see this, you know, with 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 enormous hindsight, of course, how strange mm. and kind of you know foul it was, and all that kind of stuff, of course. But even at the time, it was kind of a bit strange, and and you know, with the example of Great Britain not giving the Nazis, it was still seen as a, a bit bad taste, to say the least. I mean, you would you would you would think that was the case. Um, Maybe that's my, my sort of more hopeful. No, you side would, of thinking but, but but there was a huge debate going on until not long before they invaded Poland. So that was three years later about whether to appease Hitler mm. or not. Mm. So for some people in Britain, it was, you know, they were still in the process of influential people. Uh, they were still in the process of deciding, you know, friend or foe. Mm. seems extraordinary now. Yeah. But, but that's the case. Uh-huh. So Germany have gone out of the tournament to Norway which has has pissed the Führer off. The day off. before, pissed yeah. the Führer off. Indeed, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and then Peru play Austria, so yeah, the which, attention is turned to Austria. Yeah, I mean, there are a few things here. You'd, you'd think uh, that was like a minnow against a giant of world football. Austria were very, you know, a bit good in those days. So th- um, this is the, the, the I mean, the this is the amateur side, but the Austrian professional side had got to the semi-final of the 34 World Cup this is the Wunder team, the great team of, of Rudy Haydn and, and exactly. Sindelar. And, exactly. Uh, but this is not who Peru are playing because mm. the Olympics, um, I mean, we're used to the Olympics, uh, or we were for a time uh, being an amateur tournament because um, there was 30 or 40 years where every year an East German team won the Olympic gold medal uh, in the post-war period. Um, but, but, it was quite new in those days. Uruguay won the tournament in 1924 and 1928. When it was essentially the World Cup. It was, there, were, there was a lot of overlap between uh, the Uruguayan team that won in 28 and the World Cup winners in 1930. So this really is the first time the Olympic football tournament is, is for amateurs. Because in 32, 32, there is no Olympic there football. There isn't, because it was in the United States and mm-hmm. they weren't desperately keen on it. And FIFA and the IOC, the International Olympic mm-hmm. Committee, was still sorting themselves out in terms of the 
you know, the terms in which the Olympic tournament might mm-hmm. take place now that the World Cup exists. Yeah. So that's the first thing. It's not the great yes. Austrian team. Um, the other thing is South America was in the habit of winning Olympic football tournaments. It mm-hmm. won the last two, 1928 in Amsterdam. Both finalists were South American. So although Peru were by no means Uruguay, um, they were the only South American representatives. Uh, and, you know, they, they weren't someone you could write off particularly lightly. Mm-hmm. They, they played a game before the Austrian match uh, against Finland and beaten them 7-3. And their centre-forward had scored five of those goals. Yeah, Fernandes looked pretty tasty. This is Teodoro Fernandes, the captain. Yeah, Lolo. El Uh, Canoniero. Yeah, (laughs) absolutely. Well, he was was already off the mark with five. So even if they didn't know what to expect Mm -hmm. before that Finland game, you know, that would have... Uh, and to be fair, they wouldn't have known what to expect because Peru had only ever played 11 competitive fixtures before this. The, the only thing was, though, there's this strange tour by Peruvians, a Peru, joint Peruvian and Chile team, which played, I think, 30 or 40 games against clubs. Oh, around you? When was that? 33, 34. Okay. Uh, they played West Ham, Bayern Munich, Nice, all sorts, Madrid. But I think they play. I think they played. Made the mistake of playing Madrid and Barcelona on the same day, which <laughs> <laughs> I think they lost both rather heavily. But they they did okay on that tour. So so and, and so yes, it's true. It, Jonathan's absolutely right. They they only played eleven international games, but with nine defeats, it should be said. Nine defeats, four of them by Uruguay. True. Yeah, I mean, yeah. That's the other thing to remember that South American football was very uneven at the time. That Uruguay, mm. Argentina, and to a much much lesser extent Brazil were very good teams. Right. I mean, Uruguay and Argentina, the first two World Cup finalists, they didn't, neither of them went to the World Cup in 34 because, yeah, they, they couldn't afford it. Or, well, sorry, Argentina sent an amateur side, but it, yeah, it wasn't a serious side they sent. They lost to, uh, lost three to Sweden in their only game. Uh, but, yeah, the, the top level of Uruguayan and Argentinian sides just hadn't travelled in the 30s. Right. So, but I think essentially, the last side. World Cup they'd taken seriously, they'd both got to the final. Mm. I think this Peru side was on the up because they they would go on to win the Copa America three years afterwards, uh, albeit on home soil and albeit without the Brazilians. <laughs> uh, but nonetheless, they were, they were an improving team. Um, they had at least two probably world-class players, this guy Fernandez and an, another guy called Alejandro Villanueva. And he got the other two against He got Finland. the other two against Finland. He also, the Alianza... Lima Stadium mm. is named after him, which I'm sure is one of the reasons why this match is still. Well, he died very young, didn't he? Died he did age die thirty-five. Yeah, uh, what uh, eight years later, forty-four. He yeah, died, he died. But a lot of players died young in those days. I mean, in his case, it was TB. Obviously, the war took a lot of people. Yeah. But um, but he was a very colourful figure. He's very tall. Um, I, I think he played in a, a sort of Zidane role, as as much as one can make out from uh, the match reports that I've seen. Um, but he was he was over six foot, which was fairly unusual in those days, especially for a mid, midfield stroke uh, striker, mm-hmm. withdrawn striker anyway. Um, uh, and by all accounts, was phenomenally skillful. He's, he's rightly or wrongly, he's uh, known in Peru for for bringing all sorts of moves, including the bicycle kick, mm. is supposedly introduced by him. Goodness knows if it's true or not. So anyway, Peru. And Austria, 
It's also worth saying this is Peru's first Olympics. Uh, the first Olympics. They've had oh, they, they been did one play... Peruvian. Yeah. Uh, what's the word? Contestant. Oh, that's right. Athlete. Yes. So it's one contestant but... in 1900. He was the fr- French ambassador's son. <laughs> he took part <laughs> in the fencing. Went in the fencing. Yeah. Went in the fencing. Lovely. But it is the first organised Peruvian yeah, yeah. team. Didn't get a yeah. medal. Didn't get a medal. Sadly. Um, it's also. <laughs> It struck me as quite interesting that the, the 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 president of the Peruvian Olympic Committee, who arranged all this, raised all the money so they could go. Uh, two things about him: one was he's a descendant of a former mayor of Hamburg, mm. <laughs> um, but the other thing, poor poor chap, his wife died just before uh, the comp- just before they set sail, so he didn't actually go. So he wasn't there in in in, in Germany. Um, he had to watch from Peru, having put the whole thing together. Wow. Um, but the, anyway, but the Peru side, though, and uh, after the break, we're going to talk more about this. It was a multiracial side. It was a multiracial side, which, yeah, given the context, is interesting. Mm-hmm. I, it just wasn't a mismatch. Um, the, the 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 best thing probably about the Austrian setup was having Jimmy Hogan, uh, yeah. the famous British manager, as mm-hmm. there. Yeah, so, so Hogan, I think, is certainly in pre-war terms, would be the most influential coach. I think you can make a case that Bjorn Kreif has since superseded him. But he was, um, he, you know, he's from Burnley, although obviously an Irish, from a name, an Irish family. Um, his father wants him to go in the priesthood. Uh, he he was a um, noted for being quite puritanical about football. He had all these ideas on how to improve um, himself and improve those around him. He invented the, or, uh, he put together sort of rudimentary exercise bike to try and improve his fitness. He got very frustrated with the English games, lack of desire for technical and tactical uh, self improvement education, and so went to the continent just before the First World War. Mm-hmm. Ends up coaching in Austria, is interned, goes to Budapest, and has an enormous influence over football in Hungary, which then has my most recent book, The Names Had Long Ago, there explained in a lot of incredibly interesting and moving detail <laughs> uh, that, you know, the, the hunger of the early 20s yeah. Yeah, transforms world football. Hmm. Uh, but Hogan, really, it's, it's Austria, Austria and Hungary where he's loved and he, you know, he, gets, you know, he goes back to Austria and, and coaches the Olympic team. As he, he'd, suppo- he'd been supposed to coach the Austrian Olympic team in 1916, but obviously the war happened. Mm, right. Um, so a bit of a warning. If Hogan gets the Austria job, Watch out. Watch out indeed. All right, after the break, we're going to talk about the game between Peru and Austria at the 1936 Olympics. See you in a moment. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. 
My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Right then. Let's talk about the match itself, uh, David. So going into the game, Austria, heavy favourites. Um, despite it being an amateur side, of course, not much is known about this Peru team. And as it, as it goes on, you know, Austria the score, they yeah. go in front and, and, and it seems to sort of begin to, to play the first, out. The first half went according to the script, if you describe it like that. Austria yeah. would, would two nil up um, at half time. Uh, there's already talks in some of the match reports about uh, robust tackling by the Peruvians, uh, although mainly Austrian reports, I have to say. Um, then uh, halftime comes, first quarter of an hour, it's a bit of a midfield stalemate. Austria obviously holding on to, to what they came for. Uh, then... Uh, and we should sure we should say that obviously Germany because they've gone out they'll be supporting Austria now. You would expect perhaps the crowd was only five thousand. Okay, according to the, although actually some of the ma- some of the match reports put it higher, but the official attendance in the FIFA records is five thousand. It's worth saying this is the same stadium where Germany have lost the day before in front of fifty four thousand. Oh right, so it's a big stadium. Okay, and not many people there. So this, there is some dispute as to how many people were there. The photographs of the game, it doesn't look very full, but I guess it's, yeah. Yeah, when you have a big stadium, it's quite hard to tell. Yeah. Yeah. All you can say is there's not many, but whether it's 5,000 or 10,000. I'm not, I'm not sure how much it would have really uh, impinged on the locals' consciousness. That's okay. Yeah. I mean, I, I, yeah. It is, it's an interesting point. One I, I don't think there's any clear answer to is to, no. to what extent this idea of a greater Germany, how current that was at the time. I mean... I know it had been part of Nazi party literature mm-hmm. from, from the 20s, but as to whether that had really seeped into the general public consciousness. It's, it's, it's certainly part of the conspiracy theory right. that's still running wild in Peru. <laughs> that because the Germans were knocked out, therefore they decided Austria had to win. Okay. I don't think it really holds water. To well, and another part of that is that the referee is Norwegian. So another part of this Northern European... Yeah. But, I think know. what's more to the case is that the FIFA committee that... Uh, eventually passed judgment uh, was all Europeans. Mm. But we're probably getting We'll, we'll, we'll get on to that, certainly. Um, so, yes, 2-0. Two 2-0, so, nil. Nil, an hour gone. Uh, then an Austrian midfielder, one of their better players, called Adolf Loudon, 
uh, goes down injured. Uh, some of the reports say he was kicked in the stomach. <laughs> we don't really know. Anyway, he had to go off. There's no substitutes in those days. So Austria down to 10 men. Peru obviously see their chance. Go for it. Uh, a couple of minutes later, they score in a scramble. And then not that close to the end, but around the 80th minute, uh, Fernandez is centre forward. El Caninero slams one across the crossbar and the other star, Nueva prods in the rebound. So 2-2. Two, two. And that's how it ends after 90 minutes. They've gone off script now. Gone off script now, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Uh, and this is where it gets interesting. Um, we Again, there's so much we don't know. I don't, I don't know. I mean, one presumes in those days they tended to hold the end-of-match team talks before extra time in the middle of the pitch. So I assume mm. they didn't go off to the dressing rooms, but they might. Well, I mean, I presume. I'm not even certain the coach would take them. They well, might just have been the captain. I mean, coaches weren't as heavily... I mean, Hogan might have been, actually, but... This I certainly is, don't this think is there's another a guarantee interesting thing. the coaches would get involved in that. So, um, they're preparing for 30 minutes extra time, 2-2. Two, two, and then the Peruvians start going absolutely ballistic. Uh, and nobody can really figure out why. Uh, the crowd, as well as the players, the crowd seemed to have got involved in this. Although, as I say, it's, it's very hard to believe there were more than 100 or 200 Peruvians there. So, yeah, even in a crowd of five or 6,000, it's hard to believe. Well, I mean, you think of the Peru journey. had amazing travelling support at the Russian World Cup. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Whether they'd have had amazing support when it took, I don't know, two months to get across the Atlantic Absolutely. on a boat. Absolutely. Yeah. And Absolutely. you can't imagine there was a big diaspora of Peruvians in um, Europe. Certainly not living anyway. in Berlin. No. I mean, <laughs> so they got yeah, completely right. mad. And, and, and most people there, most of the reporters, would be trying to work out what on earth's going on. Hmm. Um, but not all the reports, but but... Two or three of them. This, this is what I think happened. Uh, Laudon, the injured player, mm. the Austrians uh, said, OK, we want to bring him back on. It's quite within their rights. You know, he was injured. Maybe he's feeling better. Maybe he's just going to go shiver on the left wing or something. Mm. But they've, they're they've quite within their rights to bring, on the, bring, bring the player back. Mm. Now, the Peruvians, according to two reports, one in an Austrian paper, one in the Daily Sketch, uh, were convinced they were trying to bring on a different player mm. who was fit and therefore bring themselves back up to 11 men. Well, so it's, it's Sport Tagblatt, uh, which is the Austrian paper. Um, it's, its line says, only gradually was it understood that the Peruvians believed the Austrians had exchanged the injured Laudon for another player, which is prohibited by the rules of, Olympic, of the Olympic football tournament. So the Daily Sketch reporter we think was not at the game. Well, I'm, I'm pretty sure the th thing about this game was it was taking place exactly the same time as, as another quarterfinal between Poland and Great Britain um, at the, uh, the, 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 the other Berlin stadium they were using, so just up the road. Um, uh, this guy, this reporter, W. Kappel Kirby, who I've not a name I'm familiar with, but obviously a football writer for the Daily Sketch of some uh, authority, uh, he clearly was at the uh, Poland-Great Britain match because he filed a match report on it, which was very much an eyewitness report about how the Polish left winger had ripped our boys to shreds. It was 5-4, but, mm. but Poland were 5-1 up with 20 minutes to go. So yeah. it's a bit of a massacre. Um, 
he filed he filed that match report. So he it's it's second hand at best. You can be ninety nine percent sure he sure. wasn't at the game. Also, the Daily Sketch report on the Peru riot in inverted commas didn't appear until the Monday morning. I think this was a Saturday game, so it was a couple of days later. Mm. Which again um, makes sense if he's got to go and find people at the game, probably talking to other journalists. Well, I, I but... his main source seems to be the referee Pico Barons. Uh, the German guy who Jonathan was talking about, who who, but he wasn't the referee of the game. No, he we should the, say because it was a Norwegian referee. He, he it was a Norwegian referee. Pico Bowens happened to be there. Yeah, Bowens. I mean, he's a just a brief excursus. A really yeah. interesting figure. He's one yeah. of these, as if there's a handful of these sec, pre Second World War referees who seem to just do every single big game. They're <laughs> <laughs> like the, the Kunit Shakir of their of their age. Yeah, but the. Um, there's a thing called the Eternal Final in German football between Hamburg and Nuremberg in 1922, which went to a replay. So their championship had a final, went, went to a replay, then the replay went to extra time. Um, were, uh, Nuremberg ended up four men down because of red cards and, well, not red cards, and sendings off and, and injuries. And so he abandons the game. And then there's a whole series of committees trying to decide what happens next. So, yeah, Bowens is a sort of... A, a big figure in German football. So the fact he's at the game, he would be seen as an authority. He'd be seen as somebody you could trust. Mm. And he, he became the first post-war president of the of, of the DFB, of the German Football Federation, although he, he made some slightly unfortunate comments in 1954 for which he was <laughs> removed from his job. Okay. Well, he was so a controversial all. figure, wasn't he? But anyway, he, as you say, he's a figure of, of, of authority. And I imagine a, a British reporter trying to, catch up with a story or True. whatever would have would have felt comfortable accepting and he probably spoke word. English I'm almost certain he would have probably spoken spoke English, English. Uh, anyway so this daily sketch report that appeared two days later on the basis largely of Pico Barons's testimony uh, says uh, quote more than a thousand Peruvian supporters <laughs> shrieking howling and waving flags leapt the barriers and rushed on the field uh, Austrian players, it says, were kicked and punched. Then, suddenly, Dr. Barons saw a Peruvian slip his hand into his pocket <laughs> as if to draw a gun. Mm. Without a moment's hesitation, Dr. Barons seized the man by the throat and prevented him reaching his pocket. What a hero. A violent struggle took place <laughs> before the man was overpowered cool. well, just strangely well, the, the FIFA, lucky Bowens was there lucky was there <laughs> but oddly the the, the, the FIFA um, committee that, that met to consider this uh, were, were unable to identify any culprit I see there's another so, report also from Sport Tug Blatt that appeared about a week later yeah uh, go, going on for a paragraph at least about how the uh, Peruvians kept kissing each other when they scored the winning goal. Well, there's goal. a photograph in Sport Targblad yeah. of you know, a, a load of Peruvian players. I think it's after the, the, the fourth goal. So we should say that yes. extra time goes on. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, in, in this melee of a pitch invasion, Anton... Uh, uh, Another Peruvian is Kren. supposed to have been kicked. It may have been Kren, although there's only, I think, one mention of him. Right. Um, the, the, the Kren is, is yeah. supposedly injured in, in this melee. And the, the game goes on. is supposed to be injured as well. So, you know. And then Villanueva scores again after 117 minutes and two minutes later. Yeah. Fernandez gets his second of the game to make it 
uh, sorry, to get his first VM, Vino the second, Fernandes gets his first VM to make it 4 2. Mm. Um, but yeah, so there's this photograph of the fourth goal of the player celebrating. Exactly. There's an Austrian looking a bit doubtful of this sort of pile of pre- celebrating Peruvians. <laughs> and a caption says, Excesses of joy by the South Americans after the decisive goal. The Austrian standing by does the only thing one can do in such a situation. <laughs> He wonders at it. <laughs> <laughs> so, and also, yeah, you can see the crowd in the background, and they seem quite a calm. Well, that's the other thing. If you've got, if you've got photographers there, why didn't they take a picture of a pitch well, invasion? Well, I mean, uh, but there's, there's also, I mean, I think there's, yeah, there's two two things feed together. One is there's definitely this uh, trope of the exhorting, the the emotional South Americans, mm, yeah. Uh, and yeah, they they're so emotional they kiss each other when they score. They're so emotional that. You know, when they think mm-hmm. that a player's been substituted, yeah, you know, they they respond with guns and metal bars and whatever. But there's also there's a love, in, certainly in the British press, of describing angry foreigners invading pitches. So when mm-hmm. England lost the first time England ever lost to continental opposition was in 1929 against um, Spain in Madrid. They lost four three, and the game sort of written off as oh, it's too hot. The pitch was really hard. This isn't real football. <laughs> but there's a series of celebratory pitch invasions. One of which is apparently only cleared when the the local gendarmerie, whatever they were called in Spain at the time, sort of start approaching with with swords drawn, <laughs> and the yeah the, the the handful of there's sort of three or four British journalists there, and all of them make great play not of a game yeah. but of yeah I guess so this slightly mad policing with swords yeah, and yeah. these mad fans celebrating <laughs> despite the swords, so that that Daily Sketch piece fits into a pre-existing tradition of British sports yeah, writing right. about foreigners celebrating and particularly Latins celebrating mm-hmm. um, so I, I think you have to take it with an enormous pinch of salt yeah I right. mean there was some suggest that Peru scored five goals during extra time there are, there are of which three were disallowed sorts, there are all sorts of that's exactly right yeah but um, was there any did you find any kind of not a single match of that in any match report okay. of about um, probably a dozen at least that I mean, to we be went f- through with Cat's help to be fair, if that's um, if that indeed was the case, and you know three of them were offside or whatever against the rules, then they should have been disallowed. You know, but it just it seems yeah, to and that, that's no why we need VAR. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. Maybe it was a pre-runner there. I mean, you do realise this is another thing to to say that um, the match reports are wildly differing. But yeah, actually, having spent a lot of time reading old match reports. That happened because you had no replays in press boxes. Mm, yeah, and so I, don't, I mean I don't know about the, the nature of Austrian press at this time, but certainly the the British press at the time, a lot of the reports would be literally being far live. Mm-hmm. So they'd be watching the game on the phone, going, and then in the fifteenth minute, X cross to Y, mm-hmm. and Y's had to hit the bar mm. or, or whatever, and maybe you didn't see you put the cross in, or you maybe your phone connection went and as you kind of got it back again, something sure. happened and. You just miss it out. It's not so just football, I tell you. Yeah, it's it's sports reporting in general. It's pretty quite recently. But what do you then, if if you want to take the conspiracy to kind of its its extremes, there were suggestions that read somewhere that you know Goebbels has whipped up people to kind yeah. of run on the pitch and go right. We can't have this. We can't have you know with Jesse Owens. We can't have a team who have got what five black players was it? This is an embarrassment. Bloody, well, that's bloody, another bloody. thing that should be said. The, the a lot of the reports. Yeah make specific reference to mm-hmm. Peru as the blacks and whites. Right. They refer to skin colour and they refer yeah. to being a mixed team. Yeah. Which, I, d- I don't know, I mean, it's always hard. Uh, 
applying the the sort of standards and expectations of our generation to past generations. So it's very hard. Um, I know what I, you're by no means a fluent German speaker, trying to understand mm-hmm. what what's the implication of that at that time. Mm-hmm. Did those words have the, the did they sound as odd as they do to our ears? I don't know, but it, it does seem very relevant in the context of mm. of that Olympics. Yeah, yeah. No, absolutely. No, li- listen, there are, there. Are- all sorts of stories that I heard before I read any of the actual eyewitness accounts mm-hmm. of these dreadful things that were supposed to have been done to the Peruvians that have been circulating in Peru for two generations, clearly. There's another one that the um, uh, there was a last-minute penalty that was saved that, that would have prevented extra time, uh, a last-minute penalty for Austria. I, a, that clearly didn't happen either. <laughs> so there are all these stories yeah. um, which I have discounted but what I've not discounted is that this pitch invasion was hugely overblown. Yeah, I, I, I just can't conceive it was anything other than hugely overblown. I'm sure there was something. Mm-hmm. I'm sure the Peruvians tackled hard. Um, but uh, I, having gone through as much research as I as I really can, um. Uh, it, it doesn't to be booted out. So yeah, time. this is what yeah. they, well, they were actually. To be fair, they weren't booted out. They were ordered to play a replay. So there's there's a, an appeal by by Austria. Austria immediately appeal uh, on the grounds of uh, pitch invasion and uh, robust approach of the Peruvian players. FIFA committee hears sits down hears the appeal. Um, uh, I mean, I think they they they're only two or three witnesses all from the the european side because the story goes that the peruvian delegation i I think initially they were either determined to snub the process because they felt hard done by or they were waiting for instructions from the uh president of the republic who of course is a military figure who came to power in a coup (laughs) um but there's also a story there's a military parade that meant they they arrived late well this is it i I think they eventually for whatever reason got permission to go but it wasn't until this committee had already had sat half the night broke up at 1am or something and i think it was the following morning the peruvians went it must have been the following morning because the story i came across which having attended various olympics is extremely plausible is that the bicycle race the olympic bicycle race was going on so all the roads were closed so they couldn't <laughs> get to the, the hotel and that rings horribly true right, if you've okay. been to an olympics uh-huh. so i'm not sure they spoke to any peruvians and that, quite interestingly to me the the fifa conclusion which is repeated in the um ioc's official report or the, the german noc's official report of the berlin games uh, there's a load of meaningless waffle, and then the essential conclusion is that one a member of the crowd, who they couldn't identify, kicked a player. Now, uh, I think there's a, possibly a, a, a chance that that happened. I imagine a, 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 a player probably was kicked, although I'm not surprised anyone took the great trouble to verify who kicked him. Um, but to th- you know, to 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 demand a replay for that, I mean, come on. But a replay is granted them in Peru. Peru don't show up. It was a replay behind closed doors, only three or four hours after the decisions released. Well, it had to be quick because the semi final was uh, yes, the following day. The the la- these were the last um, quarterfinals. Mm. That's right. So Peru are out the tournament. Austria 
would, Austria, would go on to lose to Italy in the final. Yeah, as they did in the World Cup. And, and in Peru, as you say... It's... And the, uh, the, sorry, the two Italian goals are scored by um, Annibale Fossi, uh-huh. who uh, wore glasses, subsequently became manager of Inter, when he came up with the famous line, which is often misattributed, that the perfect game finishes nil-nil. Ah, ah, there we are. Presumably when he's not on the field, though. Yeah, because he was. I mean, he scored a load of goals against Japan when they yeah. beat Japan earlier in the tournament. He needs to practice what he preaches, perhaps. Yeah. Right? Um, but yeah, so 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 that's the kind of what the happened. Thing about, the thing about the Italian. This is, this is also relevant because of the the things that were going on anyway in the competition. Let me just read you a report of how, or part of a report of how Italy won their first round match. They beat the United States one nil. This again, it's not the Italian team that won the World Cup in '34. It's 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 an amateur team. Brian retained it in '38, and but both in pretty yeah. controversial mm. circumstances, <laughs> shall we say? Which is why this is yeah. is relevant. Yeah. So um, they beat the United States one nil, and during the course of that, uh, an Italian player called Achille Piccini was um, he pushed a U.S. player down. Uh, and uh, he was badly enough injured. I think he had a knee ligament injury. Um, And so the referee tried to send him off. Whereupon, this New York Times, no less, match report says, three times the referee tried to get Piccini to leave, but finally gave up. A half dozen Italian players swarmed over the referee, pinning his hands to his sides and clamping hands over his mouth. (laughs) The match is said to have finished with Piccini still in the lineup, and then there's an interview with the American general manager or, or what have you. After which the, the 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 reporter concludes the Americans took it quote good naturedly. Well, it certainly didn't demand the replay, which yeah, <laughs> would right. seem to have been due them. And we scorned Paolo Di Canio all those years later for what he did as a referee. And so there you go, ladies and gentlemen, your gold medalist. <laughs> um, but of course, just to to, to wrap it up. Um, Back in Peru, they were they they oh they, there they, were riots. There were the German embassy where the windows were stoned. I mean, there was know, t- dockers report. refused to um, oh unload a German and also a Norwegian ship, which is the referee, referee. Being Norwegian. That's why it was important to do. And, and to be fair, um, the the Austrian paper uh, Freie Stimmen had said the referee was not up to the match. Yeah, yes, that's right. I don't know who was up to the match to be quite but, frank. But in all this, there's no attempt, as far as I can see to get to the bottom of whether the Austrians were indeed trying to bring on a substitute. <laughs> it seems unlikely for Hogan, but anyway. Yeah. I You're just... biased though, Jonathan. <laughs> <laughs> indeed. Well, um, David, it's been a pleasure sort of unpacking that. No, it's I mean, it, it's, it's obviously still a little bit of mystery. You can draw your own you, conclusions, you, ladies you and gentlemen. You can't get to the bottom. I, yeah. did, I, I did speak to, um, sorry, I did speak to the son of mm-hmm. the guy who was the Peruvian NOC, and mm-hmm. he, he'd... Um, I know him quite well. He said he had attended a 40th anniversary bash for oh. the team because they were national heroes. Yeah, they were, yeah. Um, in 76. So some of the players were still alive. And he, so he, I have at least managed to speak to somebody who spoke to many of them personally to many of the players who to, who obviously were, yeah. feel they were done out of it uh-huh. and who said, confirmed that there were very few Peruvians in the crowd. Yeah. Well, <laughs> just, expect, just, right? just one rational thought you would think that as well. Yeah. Um, certainly made up for it, though, in Russia. 
There was plenty of them there. Um, this look, was also this was the, these were the first two games where they wore the red sash shirts. Oh, is that right? The Finland famous was jersey. First time they ever wore. wore oh, them. There you are. Oh, well, at least uh, they 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 took something out of the tournament certainly <laughs> that that would last. Um, We've reached the end of our time. David, thank you very much. That was an absolute pleasure. Uh, Thank you very much for listening to Greatest Games on Football Ramble Daily in association with The Blizzard. For more stories like that, go to theblizzard.co.uk, of course. And don't forget, at Football Ramble Daily, we're Monday to Saturday here. So subscribe to make sure you never miss a show. We'll see you next time. Was a Stakhanov production. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.